Despite how far we are into the primary process, both party frontrunners still feel a bit vulnerable. As the Washington Post recently put it, what if November's likely Biden-Trump rematch suddenly isn't? Meaning, it's possible that we might see the nominating contests suddenly upended and one or both of them is replaced. Look at these recent headlines. Can Democrats replace Joe Biden? After hers, Biden-age comments, could any Democrats really take his place? Could Democrats replace Biden as their nominee? Democrats might need a plan B. Donald Trump has a big problem ahead. A whole swath of GOP voters appears firmly committed to not voting for Trump in November. What if Trump is elected with criminal charges still looming? What happens if a presidential candidate is convicted? On a recent episode of his podcast, Ezra Klein of the New York Times lobbied for Biden to drop out and for leading Democrats like President Obama to convince him to do so. The question also is weighing heavily on the minds of voters on both sides. According to a brand new Monmouth poll, 48% of registered voters believe Biden is either very likely or somewhat likely to be replaced as the Democratic Party's nominee. And for Trump, 32% say it's very or somewhat likely that his legal troubles will result in him not being the Republican nominee. You know who else is thinking along those lines? Nikki Haley. Here's what she told CNN's Caitlin Collins just last night. 70% of Americans don't want to see Trump or Biden. 59% of Americans think Joe Biden's too old and think Donald Trump's too old. The party that gets rid of their 80-year-old candidate is the party that will win. There will be a female president of the United States. It will either be me or it will be Kamala Harris. If Republicans nominate Donald Trump, it will be Kamala Harris. But if we can go and do what we're trying to do, we're going to make sure that it's me. So is either one of them more vulnerable? I want to know what you think. Go to my website at smirkandish.com and vote on today's poll question. Who is more likely not to be their party's nominee, Trump or Biden? Now, at this stage, if a candidate dropped out for any reason or if a party did want to change horses, how exactly would that even work? Last week, when I asked James Carville if it was already too late, he said this. It, it's never too late, but the later it gets, the more confusing the process gets. And then you, there's a person called Elaine Cormack who knows more about this than anybody, anyone in the world. She's written books on it. And I'm kind of surprised she hadn't been interviewed yet because she has massive information on what happens by what date. So when Carville speaks, I listen. Elaine Kmark joins me now. She's founding director for the Center for Effective Public Management and senior fellow for governance studies at the Brookings Institution, author of, among other things, Primary Politics, Everything You Need to Know About How America Nominates Its Presidential Candidates. Elaine, thank you for being here. Let's break it up into four time segments, now until the conventions, post-convention until election, election till electoral college, and electoral college until inauguration. What happens if a candidate drops out between now and the convention? Okay, great questions. Um, one thing our viewers should understand is that the delegates at the convention actually make the legal decision on who is nominated. So during the primaries, what you're doing is you're allocating delegates to candidates, but you're not choosing the actual people who will be delegates. <clears throat> that process usually takes place after the primaries. And so what would happen 
depending on when the candidate dropped out, is their names probably wouldn't be on a primary ballot. They wouldn't be running on a ballot. They'd be all Joe Biden delegates or all Donald Trump delegates. But anybody wishing to jump in the race, if one of those candidates got out, would have to go actually try to get people elected as delegates who were sympathetic to them. And that is a party-run primary, takes place kind of similarly, ironically, in both parties all across the country, according to the states. Nikki Haley, still in the race, albeit in second position by a wide margin. My assumption is she hopes to arrive at the Republican convention if she stays in with a voting block, right? In the hope that if something were to happen to Trump's candidacy, she'd have at least a block, if not enough votes. Absolutely. If you if we ever got into a situation where the decision actually ended up at the convention, anyone who has a coherent block of delegates, Nikki Haley, Ted Cruz, by the way, had one in 2016 when they made a, a sort of aborted effort to um, stop Trump. So anybody who arrives at a convention with a block of delegates is going to be in a very powerful position. Okay. Convention occurs, Biden and Trump are nominated, something happens between the convention and election day. Now what? Well, both parties have provisions in their look, in their rules for the chairman of the party to call into session the full Republican National Committee or the Democratic National Committee. The Republican National Committee is a little less than 200 people. The Democratic National Committee is around 400. And those committees are authorized to choose a nominee for their party. Wow, but we really do vest tremendous control of this whole process to the parties. Let me go to scenario number three. So scenario three is the convention until the electoral college has now taken place, or I should really say the election until election. the electoral college gets together in December, right? Right. And that's a, that's a little murky. Um, again, just as <clears throat> when you vote for, pro for in the primary, you're actually voting for delegates. When you vote in the presidential election, you are actually voting for electors. Some states actually put the names of those people on the ballot. They meet in the second week of December in their state capitals, and they sign a certificate of ascertainment, it's called, a little old-fashioned, and that certificate goes to the United States Senate. Now, those people generally vote for whoever their party's nominee was. If their party's nominee has dropped out for some reason, is, is not around for some reason, then we're in a little bit of uncharted territory because the laws that say you have to vote for the winner of your state obviously um, don't help you very much. But somebody, in theory, because so somebody else could be nominated. I okay, mean, could be elected, thank you for right? playing along with me. Thank you for playing along with me. This is exactly what I hope that you would deliver. There's a lot of discussion about vice presidential candidates, the vice president. Does it by rights fall to the vice president of a successful ticket? In other words, there's an election. The, the person who is at the top of the ticket, for whatever reason, is no longer in the drill. Does it by rights go to the VP or not necessarily? Not necessarily, although for all practical purposes, it would probably go to the VP. I mean, that's probably the way the politics would work. But, you know, the electors would have to vote and sign that certificate and send it to the United States Senate.
Okay, and I think you've anticipated then my final scenario, which is the Electoral College has met. They voted in December. We could even be beyond the January 6th. We all remember the significance of that day. Now, if for whatever reason the person who's won the election is in the presidential elect position, but they can't or won't go, it sounds like you're saying it would be the Veep in all likelihood. Well, that, that it, that it would be the Veep, not even in all likelihood, because at that point, the Constitution, there's an amendment to the Constitution, which says very clearly, if someone who was elected and the president-elect cannot be inaugurated, um, then the vice president is inaugurated. So at that point, the Constitution clicks in. So up until that, up until the Electoral College meeting, really this is under the purview of the political parties because political parties are the ones who have the authority, legal authority, to nominate presidential candidates. Once, once we get to the Electoral College and the Electoral College has spoken, then the Constitution kicks in and it's very clear that it would be the vice president. Okay, quick observation from me, reaction from you. You seem pretty calm about all this. Like, hey, it's all right. We've got rules. We've got process. If, for whatever reason, there should be a change in the 11th hour, we can handle it. Yeah, well, that's right. I just want to remind the voters that from 1831 to 1968, um, both political parties nominated candidates in conventions. And while it may take a little while for the muscle memory to come back, the political people who are elected as delegates would probably know how to do this. Um, I think you guys in the press would have the time of your lives covering this very unusual process. But there is a process, there is a history to that process. And I think both political parties could, in fact, nominate a replacement if they needed to. Elaine, that was excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you to the Rage and Cajun, Catherine. He gave us a good tip, right? She was, she was the person.